This program is brought to you by PersonalLifeMedia.com. From time immemorial, beginning with indigenous councils and ancient wisdom traditions, through the work of Western visionaries such as Plato, Galileo, and quantum physicist David Bohm, mutually participatory dialogue has been seen as the key to evolving and transforming consciousness, evoking a flow of meaning, a dia flow of logos meaning, beyond what any one individual can bring through alone. So join us now as together with you, the active deep listener, we evoke and engage in living dialogues. Welcome to Living Dialogues. I'm your host, Duncan Campbell, and this is part two of my dialogue with Richard Tarnas, author of The Passion of the Western Mind and Cosmos and Psyche, in our dialogue entitled On the Road of 2012 Now. We begin by repeating the last six minutes of part one to flow into this continuity of part two. Welcome once again. And I think Obama represents a, a, a collective shift in which we're perhaps a little more ready than we were before to see the, uh, the more complex reality uh, rather than to see their uh, any particular problem is having a simple uh, black versus white or um, yes or no uh, uh, solution. It it's, it's involves much more of an uh, intricate, deep, thoughtful, patient response to, to the, the, the complexity of life and, and synthesizing the opposite. So if I could then link that up with your subsequent point about where we are today and how a different view of the cosmos could be helpful to us right now. It, in both cases, um, the, the challenge seems to be for this powerful human spirit that ha has taken the form in modernity of a, uh, a kind of Promethean solar hero uh, uh, rebel that is breaking forth into new horizons of, of, of freedom and knowledge and uh, self-realization, but has done so at a cost of both cutting off history, uh, tradition, the past, uh, the wisdom of other cultures, of, of the indigenous ancestors, and has also done so at the cost of cutting off the uh, recognition of the intelligence and soul of the whole, that is, of nature and the earth and the cosmos, and instead presumed these qualities as being only human, as if uh, only human beings, exclusively human beings, had the properties of intelligent, purposeful uh, uh, awareness and um, capacity for uh, e emotion and uh, meaning. 
and spirit. And by arrogating these things to uh, the human self and saying that the universe is, is nothing but disenchanted atoms and, and genes and black holes uh, that are accidentally uh, have somehow brought forth this oddity of human consciousness, we've, we've both created a spiritual and psychological crisis for the modern self, isolated in its prison of, of estrangement, but we've also brought forth a, uh, a very, very real biological, ecological, global crisis, because the tyranny of the uh, separated self, empowered by this incredibly uh, uh, powerful technology, um, has been wreaking havoc to its own um, self-destructive consequence. So uh, I think there's a real com- there's, there's really a common um, thread here that connects up the, the generational, um, historical, cultural challenges that we went through uh, 40 years ago and are, again, now engaging perhaps with greater uh, wisdom and experience, and the, and the larger uh, challenge of modernity and post-modernity, post-modernity, which is to come into uh, a more participatory, reciprocal engagement and with, the, with, with the larger whole of life rather than to presume our separate superiority, which is a kind of recipe for uh, hubris and, and disaster. And that's really a theme that I want to touch on as we continue with our dialogue, is the notion that you put forth of participatory epistemology, a fancy and yet very elegant term for how we know. If epistemology is the study of how we know, the great discovery of re-enchanting the universe and reopening to awakening our indigenous knowledge, which is that the entire cosmos is infused with a soulfulness, an anima mundi, we might say, of the cosmos, that everything is infused with consciousness, with spirit, and being able to actually experience that and not to experience the world only reductively through the rational mind. We open up a whole huge vista here in our experience that means we're in dialogue with a living universe at all times and we can be receptive to the revelations of that universe rather than trying to impose the grid or superimpose the grid of a, an ideology, of a religion, of a particular uh, worldview that becomes either or and exclusive rather than paradoxical and holding the space for a multitude of different perspectives with the confidence that out of that holding of that space, a logos or a coherence, a higher resolution, appreciating the integrity of all the differences will emerge. And here, Barack Obama, unique among all the candidates, in a sense, brought back to life the motto of the United States, which is e pluribus unum, out of the many, we are one, which had not been paid attention to uh, for generations in our political discourse. He also was the only candidate to say, yes, we can, together we can, and that I am here as an expression of you rather than the adolescent hero model adopted by both Hillary Clinton 
and John McCain based on polling that they thought was going to work. They didn't realize that the adolescent mind was ready to make a leap forward, and their polling showed them that if they were, quote, a fighter, and they said, I will fight for you, to the uh, populace already accustomed to being disempowered and not having access to shaping their own lives, well, in that case, I'd better have a champion go to bat for me. Uh, But actually, it went way beyond that. The great paradigm shift was that when Barack Obama said, together we can, you know, white people, brown people, yellow people, you know, red people, black people, all of us together, able, disabled, gay, straight, we together can shape our world and shape our planet in the kind of harmonious vision that is our highest aspiration. And people responded to that. So he became, in a sense, the deep elder within the political dialogue, far wiser and full of a great equanimity and hope at the same time, very different than the other candidates who were older and, quote, more experienced than he. And so it's in that spirit that we're approaching this 2012 conference, uh, that if we engage the world, not only with our mind, not only trying to dominate or control it or protect ourselves from unexpected contingencies, but if we engage it with our heart and our soul as well, we become open to its revelations, and so we know more as a result, and we can actually dance with this energy of transformation rather than being frozen in fear at the fact that things are changing with the rapidity that they're changing. And so one of the great images of the fall election was John McCain, quote, interrupting his campaign to sort of have photo opportunities of rushing around the Capitol in Washington, D.C., hither and yon, but with nothing to say about our economic crisis when he sat in the meeting in which President Bush had called all the candidates together and other people in the cabinet to talk about the economy. So he gave the impression of charging about without directionality or wisdom, and that's very much the kind of response that one can expect from the mind or the consciousness when it is fearful and uncertain of how to approach transformation. And so since that's really the topic at heart of our conference, it's transformation rather than information. We're basically coming together with a certain intentionality and understanding that at this point in history, each and every participant in a gathering is an essential part of the energy field of consciousness that is going to be awakened there. No longer are we coming to these conferences to hear the charismatic CEO or the professor or the teacher or the great orator tell us what to do. We're coming together to evoke that very person, like a Barack Obama, from obscurity into the present and to evoke from him an articulation of our highest aspirations, rather than to be there like goslings being fed from the Moses on the Mountain traditional paradigm. So to to pool the wisdom of the whole there. Exactly. And this is going to be one of the real breakthroughs, I think, in this conference, because uh, right from the beginning, we will instruct all of ourselves that we are all there together to create and participate in a field of energy that will be revelatory. And this is the deep 
meaning of the word apocalypse. It's not destruction. It's not the end times in the sense of termination. Apocalypse literally means lifting the veil or revelation. So even as the imperfections and the non-sustainable actions of our financial system managers and of our energy system managers and of our healthcare system managers are being revealed to us, this is step one of the revelation, the revelation of what is not sustainable. But step two is the revelation together that we can evoke of how to go forward. And so that will be the focus of our intentionality and the understanding and trust that if we come together like that, we will together just as Obama said, create a way forward. It will be revealed to us in our gathering. And that really fits, I think, perfectly that we engage the world not as one-dimensional political activists, and then there are other people that meditate in another reality, but really like Drew Dellinger and yourself and myself and the participants in this conference where we're going to take on uh, big issues like uh, 2012 and what it might mean as a gift from the Mayan culture to our present situation, but we're going to take it on in a multidimensional way with its political implications, its cultural implications, its implications for our energy system, for our personal spiritual infrastructure, as well as our outer infrastructure, how we get our food, how we get our energy, and so on. So as we come toward the end of this dialogue, perhaps, Rick, you would like to just say what you're anticipating here and why you might be looking forward to participating in this gathering. Um. You mentioned the word revelation, re- revelatory, epiphanic, uh, epiphany kinds of experiences. All these need to be part of the larger whole of human knowledge, and we, we lose a, a, a crucial part of the whole. We, we, we lose the, the possibility of engaging the, the larger mystery of life if we um, do not permit this larger participation by all, all the human faculties. Uh, in the act of knowledge, and then that act of knowledge becomes more of a uh, uh, an existential uh, engagement with life that is um, more capable of of relationally evoking um, an understanding of the whole rather than an objectifying uh, imposition of the uh, our our uh, demands, our, our needs to uh, e- exploit and um, take the resources of the whole just for our uh, self-enhancement. In a way, what I've, what I've suggested is uh, in a parable I gave in, in uh, Cosmos and Psyche, yes, exactly. thought experiment, is this, um, uh, you might be thinking of it too, uh, the, this parable of the two suitors. I was and, just about to invite you to tell that because I think it expresses perfectly in parable form just what you're saying. Well, basically, it, this was the idea that uh, you, you, we could imagine um, the human being's relationship to the universe as having two uh, options. And one of them would be to imagine the, the human being as uh, approaching the universe to know it. Uh, but this first uh, approach is one that looks upon the universe as being essentially uh, mindless and without any uh, spiritual or interior dimension, that it has no uh, capacity for uh, carrying meanings and purposes of its own, and that only 
the human being uh, is uh, capable of this kind of intelligence, this kind of purposefulness, this capacity for meaning. And um, if we imagine what it would be like to be the universe, but not a mindless mechanistic universe, but let's imagine for, the, for a moment that the universe is uh, profoundly ensouled, that it, that it is uh, an embodiment of, of, of a depth of um, uh, spirit and beauty and intelligence and soul that is uh, in, entirely consonant with our own deepest uh, meanings and uh, sense of of purpose and and soul, and if we were that universe and we were being approached by this first suitor who sought to know us, sought to uh, uh, unfold our our deep mystery, would we open that that depth to the suitor who looked upon us as being? Just, radically inferior to him, I'll, I'll, I'll give the uh, gender of, a, of him to the uh, suitor, perhaps not entirely arbitrarily, and uh, would we open up our deepest mystery to that approach that looked upon us as being essentially uh, a, 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 a mindless object for uh, his exploitation to uh, enhance his own life, or would we open our our deepest realities to that approach, that suitor, that form of um, knowing that looked upon us as being at least as endowed with depths of meaning and soul and spirit and intelligence and purpose as as the, the uh, as the human being, as the suitor that that sought to know our depths, and for this second approach. Uh, the entire range of human faculties would be seen as necessary to uh, engage the mystery of, of, of life, namely uh, to bring forth our aesthetic sensibility and our, our moral capacity and our um, uh, imagination and our uh, uh, kinesthetic and somatic uh, intelligence and our capacity for empathy. Uh, all of these would be seen as being necessary to not just understand in an objective and objectifying, disenchanting way, but to, in, a, in some sense, overcome the barrier between the, uh, the, the self and the world, between the human being and, and the cosmos. And out of that uh, reunion, uh, something new could be born, some larger understanding, some deeper truth could emerge. And in that sense, the act of knowledge is, is a kind of act of love and wonder combined. It's not just uh, a kind of mm, uh, dry, abstract, uh, disengaged act of knowledge that is uh, a, simply an instrument of, of uh, our exploitative impulses, but instead is, is uh, a, an authentic um, engagement with the world as a thou rather than an it. 
uh, and it's an engagement with the cosmos and the earth and nature as being a thou rather than an it, drawing on uh, Martin Buber's famous uh, yes. formulation of the I-thou versus the I-it uh, way of relating. So this is, a, this is what I had in mind uh, behind the idea of participation in our knowledge and a, 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 more, a more participatory, more um, fully human and thereby more fully uh, relational and, and I think profound way of reconnecting to the to the mystery of life. And indeed, you know, to actually not be uh, sacrilegious, but we might also uh, say, as I've often thought about your parable of the two suitors, that in a very ordinary locution here, we might say we have the choice to either invite the universe into a co-creative dance to have a flow of creative logos and celebration and joy together or treat the universe essentially we might say as a dumb blonde whereas they have all the dumb blonde jokes where there's this sense that you actually engage the feminine not as a co-creative partner in that kind of masculine world but you have a kind of objectifying relationship to it that really loses all of the potential for the interaction as if somehow the universe is really there only to receive the seminal great ideas that we generate out of the human intellect and rational mind rather than to be a real partner in this dance and we are shaping our conference deliberately in terms of the approach of what you call the second suitor here, where every single participant here is seen as someone who is part of this great dance. We're not here to simply receive information from the presenters or from even each other. We're here to evoke a deeper energy and dialogos, or a flow of the wisdom that's there in the energy field we will create. So we can't even say in advance, of course, what that will be. But what we can say, I think, with great confidence is that this will be an extraordinarily enjoyable and stimulating and delightful dance when we come together because it, it is really boils down, in a sense, to the indigenous values in our earliest stage of human experience, which are now preserved as approaching the world and each other with appreciation, with respect, and with trust that we can actually enter together. Uh, the words of Obama that struck me most as I stood on the mall uh, 300 yards away from the podium in his inauguration address were, as the world becomes smaller, our common humanity is revealed to us. For as the world changes, so too must we change. And this is the cause that man and woman and child everywhere can celebrate. It is for this reason. So we are coming together to celebrate and uh, to be in the real joy, I'll say it, a joy of each other's presence. And I have to say, in concluding this dialogue, as we suddenly come to the end of our time here, Rick, it always has been a great joy to really appreciate the the depth and subtlety and great care that you've given to really appreciate all sides of a question, to not jump into facile uh, either-or kind of perspectives and the, the richness of the perspectives that you've taken low these 30 years to put on paper as a gift to the world in the passion of the Western mind and in cosmos and psyche. And so it's with that sense of deep appreciation and pleasure 
in your company that I thank you for participating here in this dialogue, which has, we both know, been evoked from each of us by the highest aspirations and deepest attention of our deep listeners. Well, thank you very much. I I appreciate being here, and I look forward to seeing you in, in just about two or three weeks. And doing the dance of dialogue together. That's great. Great job. Thank you. I'm your host, Duncan Campbell. I've been with Richard Tarnas, author of The Passion of the Western Mind and Cosmos and Psyche. Be with us next time as we continue on this pilgrimage dialogue of 2012 Now, Empowering the Transformation. And be with us continually thereafter on our ongoing series of Living Dialogues. 2012 Now, Empowering the Transformation, a uniquely innovative, interactive, and affordable gathering in this time of global uncertainty, will take place Friday night and all day Saturday, May 29 and 30, at the Lincoln Center for Performing Arts in Fort Collins. Beyond just information to practical tools for change and direct experience of participating in the ongoing transformation of our times, Now is the time and the opportunity to synchronize consciousness with the evolutionary pulse of the cosmos. Join world-renowned speakers as we explore and experience together the transformative dynamics necessary for a successful transit from now through the year 2012 and beyond. Featuring Stanislav Groff, Richard Tarnas, John Major Jenkins, Saban Fusome, Duncan Campbell, William Henry, Robert Sittler, and Christine Page, More information available on the website, www.unveiling2012.org. See you there. And visit us on my website, livingdialogues.com. That's living, D-I-A-L-O-G-U-E-S dot com. And if you'd like to listen to additional archived visionary dialogues with myself and other transformational thinkers listed on mylivingdialogues.com website, once you have entered your subscription to the Living Dialogues podcast here on Personal Life Media, future Living Dialogues will automatically be downloaded to your computer on a weekly basis. Or simply browse through the list of programs here whenever you like, download them, or listen to them on your computer. Thanks again for your deep listening in evoking this program. All the very best. And stay tuned now after the music for some very interesting opportunities available to you as a listener to Living Dialogues. Find more great shows like this on personallifemedia.com.